Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 25 today. Matthew 25 is our text. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His power and craft are great. I got that wrong. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. These are the words of a man, a man that we celebrate on this day. I always love it when Sunday falls on this day on the calendar. Not because it's Halloween, but because it's what? It's Reformation Day, right? What Martin Luther wanted was quite simple. He wanted to live in a world where Christians would allow the word of God to shape their lives. That's the world that he wanted to live in. He was a man of the church. He was a monk himself. He, had a, he earned a PhD in theology and was teaching at a university in Germany. But there was, there was a church structure, a hierarchical structure. And in that hierarchical structure, there were corrupt men who designed ways to not allow the word of God to shape the Christian's life, but instead created new and different ways, extra biblical ways for the life of the Christian to be shaped. And Martin Luther wouldn't have it. So on this day, October 31st in 1517, he nailed his 95 theses. Let me say that in contemporary 2021 language. He tweeted out 95 suggestions for conversation. He tweeted out, he, he nailed his 95 theses uh, to the chapel door in Wittenberg, Germany. His desire was to begin a conversation about the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church Again, he was a man of the church. He, his, his goal, his desire was to, to attempt to help reform it and to bring it back into compliance with what the word of God, the Bible says. Instead, he ignited a movement that would later be known as the Protestant Reformation. I want you to consider this as we get into our text this morning. If it's not for men like Martin Luther, men and women like Martin Luther, who would take a stand for what what the biblical truth is, what God's word says, then here's probably where we'd be, we would be living today. We would be living still in a time and place where the government was intertwined with the Roman Catholic Church. And not only would we be forced to follow their teachings, we would be forced to follow their teachings under threat of the sword. Or as a predecessor of Martin Luther, John Huss, the burning at the stake. Instead, because of the stand of people like Martin Luther, churches like Delaware Bible Church exist. They exist because men like Martin Luther, people like Martin Luther would rather die than allow the lie to prevail. Stunning. Fun fact. There's a direct descendant of Martin Luther in the choir this morning. Did you know that? The Sullivan sisters are our descendants, and Moyer was in the choir this morning. We are studying God's word regarding money and stewardship as we think about and as we dream about the future of this ministry. So today, as we get into Matthew 25, we're going to wrestle with one question. How, and it relates to Martin Luther, how is, the, is your daily life as a Christian shaped? What do I mean by that? What's the structure of your day? What do you hope? I hope that in the structure of your day, there's some personal hygiene. <laughs> I think that's good. Biblical stuff, you know. Uh, but how do you structure your day? What do you hope, what do you hope happens today? What, do you, what would make today a good day for you? And I want to submit to you that there's a world of difference between having as your archetypical good day or as your, as, your, as, your, as your best good day ever, that your good day as a Christian should not be the day I hit the lottery. 
Although, if you hit the lottery and then, and then funded our new building project, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Don't play the lottery. But if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're, your definition of a good day is to hit the lottery or, or you, know, you know, all of a sudden, from, in my case, my hair would start growing back or something like that. If that's your definition of a good day, I, I want to submit to you, that's, there's a world of difference between that and the following. Someone, for the first time, responding to, in faith, the gospel. So how is the daily life of a Christian shaped? How do you think about how to spend your time? How do you think about where to devote your skills? You each have them. Everybody in this room has skills. Where do you invest your treasure? Turn, if you would, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 25, and and I'm going to read to you the parable of the talents. The NIV, if you have an NIV Bible, I think it does a better job. It's the parable of the bags of gold. Anyway, uh, uh, here's what God's word says, uh, Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. For it, we'll talk about it in a minute, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to just share with you a few thoughts from this text this morning, uh, but before I get too deeply into it, let me just say this. Um, well, well, here's point number one. God has entrusted you with his resources. God has entrusted you with his resources. Now, we're going to get into this text, which is a parable, and, and we have to interpret it and understand it as such. And what I always say about uh, the, the first three rules of Bible interpretation are this, Context, context, and context. So we have to understand what's going on here. Go back to uh, Matthew chapter 24, um, at chapter 24 and verse 3. The disciples, it says this in chapter 24, verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will be these things? When will these things be? He's talking about the destruction of the temple, the end of the age. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then Jesus began a discourse talking about that. 
And then if we go to chapter 25, the beginning of chapter 25, the first parable there in my Bible is listed as the parable of the 10 virgins. And Jesus starts by saying, the, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and then he goes on to tell the parable of, ten, of the 10 virgins. What Jesus is doing here is he's using these parables to illustrate different points and, and to teach us different things that we need to know about the kingdom of heaven. And so in the parable of the virgins, uh, I'll let you read that on your own, but basically Jesus is saying we need to live our lives in a, in a state of ready alertness. Jesus could come back at any time, and so we need to be vigilant. We need to be alert at all times that, um, that he could return, and, and we need to live our lives as such. I think that's what that parable is, is in essence saying. But in the parable of the talents, uh, in the parable of the talents, there's, um, there's Jesus is teaching, but he's teaching something uh, slightly different. So when he says, for it will be like a man going on a journey, the it that he's referring to goes back to chapter 25, verse 1, the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. Now, again, as we read through this, this is a parable. So Jesus is using a story to make a point. So we don't want to put too much weight on this parable and try to, you know, I think we make a mistake with parables when we start interpreting them like, well, this means this and this means that, and, and we get all allegorical on it, okay? I think that we'll, we'll, we'll all agree at the end of this that there's a main thrust that Jesus is making here, and we ought to understand it, understand that main thrust as the point of this parable. Let's talk about a, a talent and, and why I, I think that maybe uh, that, that English, the, the English Standard Version, um, that, that, interpret, that transliteration or interpretation of the word talent is a problem. Because talent has an English meaning, right? It, it's an ability that we have that we're especially gifted at. Uh, for example, here's a sentence that's true. I am not talented at singing or dancing. It's not one of my talents. I know people in this church that are talented in singing and dancing. I just don't happen to be one of those people. So uh, I'll pray for you if you have to sing next to me in the uh, assembly. But it's, it, it means something in English. But in this, in this parable, the word talent is a transliteration of the, of the Greek word talenton, which is a unit of measure of weight, especially of precious metals. <laughs> okay? So uh, don't get confused about talent. Talent is a is a is not something that you do especially well. It's a unit of measure. So just for some context, a talent uh, of something is just short of 130 pounds of it. Now, different Bibles, different folks may have done different research and come up with, but it's, it's a significant weight of stuff. Uh, some say 115 pounds, I think, 130. Uh, but the sources I say say it's just a few ounces short of 130 pounds. So, that's a lot of, if, if we're talking about silver or gold, that's a lot of money. The current value of, at the current value of silver, one talent, 130 pounds of silver, would be worth about $45,467, okay, $45,000. At the current value of gold, a talent of gold would be $3.4 million. So if this guy is giving in today's money, if he's giving his servant uh, five talents of gold, he's giving him the equivalent today of $17 million to watch over. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Nothing to sneeze at, right? So he's given, him, he's given these guys a great, he's given these servants a great deal of, of assets, of his assets. It's, it's, it's his property, it says. He's entrusted it to them. And God has entrusted us with, his property. Now, uh, uh, here, here's another thing in the, in the parable that I think we all need to understand. God has an accurate understanding of your ability. So everybody in this room, God has created us different, differently. He's given us different talents and abilities, and he's given us all different, uh, we have a variety of different socioeconomic whatever. We have different wealth levels in the church, right? We have some folks that are quite well off and some folks that struggle from from uh, week to week. So we have, uh, we have a bunch of uh, d different people. And what I want to say is the point of this parable, and I think he makes it very well, the point of this parable is not that you're better in God's eyes if you have more talents and abilities and wealth. The point is, is it's what you do with the abilities, uh, the, the, 
the treasure, the time, the talents that you have. It's what you do with those things that matters. And the evidence of that is, is that he says, the master says when he returns, he says the same thing to the guy that he gave five talent that earned five more and the guy that he gave two talent and he earned two talents more. He said to them both the exact same things. Well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, you've been faithful with little. $17 million is little. I just want to point that out, that that is in the text, okay? Uh, if, if it is indeed true that he's talking about 130 pounds of gold and he gave one person five of those units of gold, then what he's saying is, you've been faithful with a little, I'm going to make you in charge of much. Now, if 17 is little, $17 million in today's money is little, what is much? It's probably more than the mind can conceive of, right? Okay, so... He says the exact same thing to the, to the person that he gave five talents as he says to two talents. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little. I'll make you in charge of much. Enter into the joy of your master. So don't sit in the congregation today and say this to yourself. Eh, this, this, is a, this is something, to t this is talking about folks that are, that are more well off than I am. This is folks that are, more gifted than I am. This is folks that have better, a better health level than I do. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that what are you doing with what you've been, what you've been entrusted with, right? So he has an accurate understanding of your, of your uh, abilities. Luke 12, 7 points to this. Uh, God knows even the hairs on your head. They're numbered, right? God knows you that intimately. It also says in Ephesians 4, 7, we get in Ephesians 4, 7, there's this picture of Christ, the conquering king, doing battle with evil and having victory and then distributing gifts that he's collected in the battle to all of his people. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every single one of you, every single one of us has been entrusted by God with something. And God knows exactly what you are capable of. By the way, uh, this is a total aside. I'm not going to charge you for this. Uh, that's funny. I, that was a joke. Um, bad joke. Martin Luther's dad was a poor miner. Uh, he, owned a, uh, he owned a very meager mining business. Martin Luther's dad was... Uh, was eager for Martin to go to college and learn how to be a lawyer so that he could be the company attorney. And Martin Luther, uh, in a lightning storm, made a pledge to God that if, if God would, would spare him from death in this lightning storm, that he would become a monk. So Martin Luther did not come from means. He came from humble estate. Uh, the next thing that we see is this. The resources you have belong to him. We talked about this already. We talked about it last Sunday. I'm not going to cover much, spend much time on it, but the Bible says this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? The world and those who dwell therein. God owns everything. He owns uh, the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He, he is the owner of everything. He's the creator. He owns it. Now, uh, before we move on, I think it's just, it's helpful for us to talk for just a few minutes about value, Let's talk about value for a minute. In my life, I have seen examples, many of them, of people expending vast amounts of resources, vast amounts of time to do something. And that something usually is something on the order of a rescue operation. In other words, people's lives are in peril. Could be just a few people. Could be regular people. They're not anybody special. It's not like it's a, a king or a president or anything. Just a normal person who is somehow in trouble, and we will expend vast resources rescuing them. Here's an example. In 2018, 12 members of a high school-age soccer team in Thailand and their 25-year-old assistant coach went cave exploring after practice one night. And after entering the cave, uh, uh, it was, they were entering into monsoon season, and, and shortly after entering the cave, the skies opened, and the rain began to fall, and the, clay, and the cave began to flood, and it trapped the young men inside. They waited inside for word from the outside world for, are you ready for this? A week. A week. 
And eventually, divers reached them and found all of the boys huddling, cold, hungry, but okay. They were doing okay. Uh, plans, were meet, were, were, plans were made to extract the boys, which required very complex planning. But 18 days after they went into the cave, uh, everyone was extracted from the cave, all the boys and the assistant coach. How many of us think the assistant coach should be left there? No, I'm just, that's a joke. That's just the way we do it at DCS. No, I'm just teasing, we don't. No, but, but everybody was rescued, including the assistant coach. But check this out. This is, from a, this is from a news report. I'm quoting from a news report. This is what was expended on the effort to rescue 12 members of a high school-age soccer team and an assistant coach. The rescue effort involved more than 10,000 people, including more than 100 divers, scores of rescue workers, representatives from about 100 government agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, 10 police helicopters, seven ambulances, more than 700 diving cylinders, and the pumping of more than a billion liters of water. And in the process, two rescue divers lost their lives. This is the effort that we as human beings put into rescuing lives in peril. I want to argue with you this morning. I want to make a point with you this morning that the message that we have been entrusted with as the church, the message that we have been entrusted with, the gospel message, the reality of, the fact that Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless son of God, came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins, offering salvation, forgiveness of sins and salvation meaning when this life is over, we will be with God forever in heaven, that that offer is made freely. That's what, that, that message, that gospel message that is what we've been entrusted with. And I'm asking you the question this morning, how much are we willing to, how much effort are we willing to put out in order to get that, make sure that that message is published to the world so that as many will hear it, will respond. God, God works in the hearts of men and women to do that. But as many that will hear it may re, may, might respond and spend eternity with God forever. As I spoke two weeks ago, this is our mission. This is what we've been placed on this earth to do, to love God, to love others as ourselves, and to make followers of Jesus Christ by baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things that God, that Jesus has taught us, right? This is why we're here. Are we structuring our days like that? Are we expending our energies, our resources, our treasures like that? That's something to wrestle with. Anyway, here's a picture of the boys after they made it out. Secondly, uh, I want to argue this morning that the English Standard Version of the Bible waters down or, or removes a little bit of the uh, uh, sting of this text because... This is what it says in Matthew 25, 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. It put in their servants. The Greek word is doulos, and doulos is not a servant, but a slave. Now, I know that when we think about slave in the Bible, oftentimes what will conjure in our mind is the U.S. slave trade, and it's not exactly like that. But being a slave is different than being a servant. And, and here's the differences. If you're a servant... If you don't like your job, you quit and you go find something better, something that fits you better, something that fits your employer better, perhaps something where you can use your talents more. But in the, in the uh, Roman world, if you were a slave, there were probably reasons, either a punishment or you, you fell into financial hard times and you had to sell yourself into uh, slavery in order to pay off a debt. And so there was no option you were, you were there. You were to work doing the bidding of the master. This will become important in just a moment as we see the response of the master to the three slaves. But I want you to notice how these different slaves reacted. The first one especially, we're told in the text that after the master left, it says in verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and, made, and he made five talents more. 
There was a sense of urgency. There's a disease here at Delaware Christian School. I don't know, uh, I, I don't know the medical name for it, but I, I'm going to take a stab at it. It's uh, put my project off-itis. See, once kids get into high school around here, they, they learn that, uh, that not only do the teachers assign daily homework, but they also assign projects that are due at the end of the quarter. And uh, the, what I've seen, uh, as I've observed students, is a lot of students going, I got time to start on that project later. You know, it's not even due till the end of the quarter. Oh, wait, there's three or four classes that have projects due at the quarter. No problem, I'll just start on them later and all this kind of stuff. Well, the later kind of wears out. Whereas uh, it goes away, and eventually it's the week before, and then you see a bunch of students with pan- just panic looks on their face. I'm never going to get this done. DCS is so unfair for assigning me all these projects. But imagine, right, if these guys had started as soon as they were assigned, right? This is what this servant did. This slave felt a sense of urgency. As soon as the master hits the road and goes on his journey, he gets those talents that he's been entrusted with and he puts them to work. And let me tell you, we're not talking about going down to New York City and getting, uh, buying a seat on the stock exchange and doing this thing all day, you know, three, 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 you know, where he's just trading stocks and bonds to like, you know, put, make his wealth go up. That's not, they didn't have that back then. So likely what had to happen here is that slave had to go out Think of a business where that slave could make money, build the infrastructure, hire the staff, go figure out how to get OSHA off their back, figure out the tax code and how how much money they're going to have to pay to the Roman government as they engage in all this trade, because the Roman government had tax laws too. Uh, And and so the, the person had to do the work. They had to do the work. Uh, John 9, 4 says, we must, work with, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. He had a sense of urgency. He also worked hard. He worked hard. And that's what I'm talking about right now. He, he had to go out and, and, and deal with personnel issues, deal with the zoning board, deal with uh, all the different regulations that he had to put up with to make this happen. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, have nothing to do with irrelevant, irreverent silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. And I want to argue, this is a different sermon. I'm not going to preach it today. This world right now is steeped in irrelevant, irreverent, silly myths. It's everywhere. (laughs) It's everywhere. It's all around us all the time. But what does the Bible say? No, don't do that. Don't, Don't focus on those things. Train yourself for godliness. That word train in the Greek is gymnazo. It's where we get gymnasium. We are to train ourselves for godliness. Uh, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. I get the feeling sometimes, I'm not pointing, I don't know anybody, I'm not talking about anybody specifically. I'm, I'm talking to folks sometimes and I get the idea that they think that the Christian life is just, if we're doing it right, should just be easy and breezy. Like there should, we shouldn't have to put too many effort, too much effort into this because God's going to bless it and it's just going to kind of take off on its own. And I want to submit to you that's not the way the that's not the picture that the Bible paints. We are in possession of this building, uh, this campus. We as a body have been entrusted with this campus that contains. Uh, not only our church, but also Delaware Christian School, which this church started back in 1973. And uh, on a pretty ongoing basis, we deal with fire inspectors, health department inspectors, and hap- happily so. I mean, these people are keeping us safe. We, do- we deal with Delaware City Schools. We, we are connected to them. We deal with the Ohio State Department of Education and all of the paperwork and regulations that comes with that. Um, Delaware City Police, which we have a great relationship with, and more. It's hard work. It's just the logistics of this ministry sometime. And and that's when all the HVAC systems are working properly, right? Ask ask Pastor Brad about that. Um, That's when they're all working properly. And so there is an element as as we are God's slaves called upon to do his work, we are bound to do his work, um, that that work is not always going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be hard. I want to tell you a story uh, about what one person can do. One person can do. 
uh, in the history of this church, and, and if I don't get the details exactly right, please forgive me, but in the, in the history of this church, we did not always own the property that we are intending to build on back here behind the church. In fact, that used to be a trailer park many moons ago. There's still vestiges of it out there uh, if anybody wants to tour and see. But there, there used to be a trailer park right adjacent to our property. And a man in our church by the name of Clarence Detray came to the church leadership. Apparently that property was going up for sale. And Clarence Detray came to the church leadership and said, you need to buy that property. I mean, how often does a property, you know, adjacent, I mean, this is the way my dad thinks too as a farmer. When the field adjacent to your field goes up for sale, you try to buy it. He's like, you need to buy that property. We don't know what the Lord's gonna do and, and you know, whatever. And so uh, the church leadership said to Clarence said, we'd love to buy that property. We don't have the money. Again, this is my best understanding of the story. But we don't have the money to buy that property, Clarence. And so Clarence did something amazing. He bought the property. He bought the property and he managed the trailer park uh, until eventually the, the number of tenants, uh, I don't know if, if as the leases expired or, or whatever, that he didn't renew them, but somehow that property was later transferred into the church, the, church, the church's uh, possession. And uh, my understanding that it was either free or at a greatly, greatly reduced price so as to be virtually free. And so I wanna just share with you, uh, Clarence has gone home to be with the Lord uh, before I arrived here nine years ago. And uh, I got to meet his wife, Nancy, for a time, but then she's gone to be home, gone home to be with the Lord as well. The picture that I'm painting here is that it, it wasn't easy for him to buy that property. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a simple matter to, to deal with tenants and put up with the rigmarole of, of, of all the laws that have to do with having tenants and evicting or getting rid of them as the leases expire and the, the logistics of getting everything moved off the property, but he did it. And let me just say this, we're not sitting here today in 2021 thinking about building on land that we don't yet possess. We're thinking about building on land that we do possess because one person had the foresight to say, oh, you can't buy that and, and use it for God? Okay, I will. So I thank God for Clarence Detray and what God, in all the different ways that God uses individuals around this place to expand his ministry. The last thing we see here is under the heading of you are your master slaves is this third slave had a failure to understand, failure to understand. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, <clears throat> Jesus would say to the Pharisees and Sadducees when they got it wrong, you are wrong because you neither you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. The slave with one talent failed to understand that he or she was a slave. And I'm gonna elaborate on that more as we move into our last point, which is this. This is pretty clear from the parable. You will give an account for your stewardship. You will give an account for your stewardship. It says in the text, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, again, in the parable, it seems like the master here is very clearly Jesus Christ. Jesus has gone away. He's sitting right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf up in heaven. That's what the Bible tells us. And it does tell us that he will come again someday. So we are in that intervening period right now of when the master has gone away. And we're anticipating his return. And what he says to the first two servants, as I've already elaborated on, he says, well done, good and faithful servants. Why are they good? Why are they faithful? Because they understand what they've been entrusted with and they know what to do to please the master and they do it. They acted on that which they knew. Well done, good and faithful servant. I think that's something that we all want to hear someday. We see in this text that these folks are blessed after they, after they are told these words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
they are blessed with more responsibility. Again, what does the text say? He had received the five talents, went at once and, and traded, and the other one traded. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he who received the five talents came forward, bringing the five more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, five talents. I will set you over much. Enter in the, into the joy of your master. Sometimes I think we, as we think about heaven, we as Christians can be guilty of thinking about heaven the way that the movies depict it. You know, so uh, 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 we can be guilty of thinking about heaven as a protracted period of rest where we're sitting on a cloud with all of our white stuff on and, and maybe a halo floating over our head and a silver platter with grapes on it or something, I don't know. And then we're strumming a harp, just pleasing the Lord with our rest. But that's not what the, that's not what the Bible seems to indicate, right? Oftentimes in the, te- in the, the text of Scripture, what we're seeing is, is that uh, when we get to be with God, he will have meaningful work for us. And the degree to which we are given responsibility over that meaningful work will be as a result of how faithful we are with, with what we're doing here. It's pointed to in Isaiah. Isaiah talks about uh, the, the, uh, the new heavens and the new earth, right? And he, taught, you have been, he, he says this, they, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build an, another inhabit. That was, the, that was the case back then, right? You'd, you'd build a city and then somebody else would come in and conquer your city, kick you out, run you out, put you in prison or whatever, worse, kill you. And then they inhabit the city and they live in your house, right? He says, no, that's not gonna happen. In this, in this new, there's going to be building and stuff, but you're going to inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. I don't know, I'm just gonna put a big, slap a big phrase on this. What God is asking us to do here is to put into practice delayed gratification. You know, delayed gratification is right. If you work out a little bit every day, eventually your health will improve. But if you work out for three hours today, you're not gonna feel better tomorrow because it's a delayed gratification thing, right? If you work out three hours a day strenuously, you're going to feel like hot garbage tomorrow, right? So, but if you work out 30 minutes a day, every day, and you work at, your, at the right level and you increase a little bit every eventually your health will get better, right? God is asking us to consider our lives on this planet today and what we've been entrusted with, our time, our talent, our treasure, and to invest that wisely in the mission that we've been put here to complete, to love God, love others, and make disciples And if we will do that faithfully, we will be blessed. It's amazing. Now there's this cryptic phrase at the end where uh, this end, the, the end that says, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I think what he's talking about there, um, I think what he's talking about there in this parable is uh, he's talking about everyone who has, the, the people, like the first servant who had five talents and earned five more. He's the one that has, and he will be given more and in, in abundance. And the one who has not, so the, the, that's, there he's talking about the one that had one talent and buried it in the ground, even what he has will be taken away. God doesn't want us to just sit on what he's entrusted us with. He wants us to use it and to use it productively for his kingdom. Okay, the next thing we see in this last bit here is joy, joy. It says, enter into the joy of your master. And I wanna submit to you, if you look at this text, if you look at this text through the the lens of American U.S. slavery, you're gonna get it wrong because I don't think there was any master who would say such a thing, right? Any slave master, maybe a few, but it'd be a very unusual and atypical thing for a slave master to say that 
But look at who we're talking about here. We're talking about Jesus himself. Jesus is the master. And, and folks, I, I can't emphasize this enough. I try to emphasize this. God has given us, Christ has given us a task to do that is not only glorifying to him, but it is actually at the same time, miraculously, what is best for us. I mean, it, when I say best for us, I'm talking about it gives our life purpose and shape and meaning. It, it, it promotes good mental health as we learn to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, to, to reach out with love when we are given hate. That's all healthy stuff. That's all good stuff. To, to not become fixated and so enamored by the things of this world that we wrap our arms around them and try to cling tightly to our stuff, to our money, but instead use that Use the money and the, and the stuff that we've been entrusted with as a, be a conduit of those resources to increase God's kingdom on earth, to get the word out about the gospel and to proclaim it and to practice those things. All these things are good for us as well as for God. And so I think that's at least a little bit about what he's talking about. Enter into the joy of your master. Revelation 19 uh, talks about that great marriage supper of the Lamb. It talks about joy. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride, that's the church, has, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. As a side note to this, before we move on, um, let me just say this. Write down maybe on your notes or something, Philippians 4.10 and following. Philippians 4.10 and following. And, and, and then let me just say this. I'm gonna, you're gonna have to study that on your own. Uh, in there, Paul makes it clear that being content is a learned skill. We don't come out of the box with that. We, don't, we, don't, we are not delivered with natural contentedness. We have, to, we have to learn that skill. Paul did, and uh, we need to learn it too. In other words, we need to reprogram ourselves to think, to be joyful about the things that, that brings God joy and to hate the things that God hates and to invest accordingly. The last thing we see in this text is this, this, this servant, this last slave is wicked and slothful. That's what that's what the master calls him, you wicked and slothful servant. Why is he wicked? Why is he wicked? He took the, took the tail and he buried it in the ground. He just gave back to the guy that which he owed to him, that which he gave him. He gave it right back. He didn't lose anything. It's because of this. That slave failed to understand that he was a slave. That slave failed to understand all that he owed to the master. And so he wanted to live his life as if he knew better. So, so you, you can kind of see this, right? He, he's probably thinking in his head, where's my, okay, I don't get anything out of this. Where's my cut? In other words, if I'm going to go do all the hard work of, start, of starting a business, uh, building infrastructure, building employees, and doing all the government regulation nonsense, I at least ought to get some, some gain sharing out of this deal, some profit sharing out of this deal, not realizing that he's a slave, not realizing that, that he has, his life has been <laughs> saved by this master who gave him a job, and so should be living in gratitude to this master. But instead, he is wicked because he's not doing, he's doing the exact opposite of the right thing. And he's slothful. He's lazy. He puts no effort into what he is doing. Proverbs 26, 13 through 16 says this, the sluggard said, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. What's that sound like to you? An excuse not to work. I can't go out today. There's a lion in the street. As the door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard on his bed. What's that sound like to you? The sluggard buries his hands in the dish. It wears him out to bring it to his mouth. Sounds like a very lazy person, right? And then verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. 
You ever notice, I just want to, I just want to ask you something. Uh, you ever notice that in this life, there's a whole bunch of people, I, I think in the, in the modern vernacular, they're referred to as trolls. People that, people that really don't do anything in life except sit behind a keyboard that have a lot of opinions on what you're doing trying to be productive. You ever notice that? that that's, that's the vibe I get when I read, uh, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. I think of a troll sitting behind a keyboard going, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're so wrong, you're a Nazi. You're evil. Talking about a person who's legitimately trying to be out there doing something productive for, for the Lord. The consequences of this wicked and slothful servant, I want to be careful about this. The consequences, what does it say at the end? It says, um, cast the worthless cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some people interpret verse 30 to mean that, that this is Jesus sending someone to hell. I think that stretches the limit of the parable to say that, especially if you look at the previous parable about the 10 virgins and the ones that weren't prepared are, are not able to get in, so they're outside of the... I think it definitely has a, a feeling of exclusion. There's, an, there's, a, there's a consequence of exclusion, but I think it's a bit too far to stretch to say that the parable is, a, is definitely somebody uh, being uh, in, in hell. But again, I think that just stretches the parable a bit. The, the question that we ask today is this, how should the Christian life be shaped? And the answer is, from this parable is this, you are to live as a slave commissioned to improve your master's assets. And when I talk about assets here, I'm talking not about that which is temporary, okay? So hear me say this. I'm not saying that our job in the, as Christians is to build a bigger building for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that our job is to do exactly what I said a few weeks ago, which is to love God, love others, and make disciples. The, the, the sharing of the gospel and the bringing more people into the kingdom of, of God, that's the assets I'm talking about. The building is the tool. One of the tools that we use is, is the building so that we can minister to more families, so that we can minister to more people. The building is the tool. But this is how we are supposed to live. I'm always, here's something that I always think about. Uh, and I just, I just want you to like uh, do a mental exercise with me before I conclude. Uh, I have been told, and this may be inaccurate by today's standards, but I've been told that we are in the United States among the richest nations on the planet. Yeah? Have you heard the same thing? We're by, in terms of our people, I know we have a lot of national debt, but in terms of, of our standard of living, we're amongst the richest in the world. And then I think, I think the principles and the values that this country was founded on. I think of the pilgrims coming over on the Mayflower, and I think, that, I think of the, the, uh, the things that have been captured in our U.S. Constitution, you know, the right to the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, you know, all those values. But most, first and foremost, the religious, uh, the freedom of religion, uh, the, the idea that our founders put in our founding docu document that we are endowed by our capital C creator with certain unalienable rights. And among those rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think about these things in parallel, the fact that we're one of the richest nations, if not the richest nation on the face of the planet, and the fact that these are the values that we have traditionally and historically held close to us. And I wonder, did God allow us to become the richest on the face of the planet so that we could be a blessing to the world? And how are we as Americans stewarding these resources? Are we hoarding them for ourselves saying, Oh, yummy, we get to, we get to be, build bigger houses and have more boats and more cars and fancier things. And, or are we, um, are we about the business of spreading the gospel and um, being a blessing to others in that way? Just a thought experiment that I have. 
Okay, some possible application. Perhaps God's already laid something on your heart, but here's some things to think about. Consider how your life needs to be reshaped by this text. What are your daily priorities? What is the shape and the contour of your life? Perhaps there's an edge on your life that that God is telling you this this morning, well, now this afternoon, to knock that off, knock that edge off. I wanna have have contouring effects on your life to, to change you and reshape you and conform you so that you will live as the slave that you are and you will be about the work that I've put you here to complete. How, uh, uh, I wanna also submit to you that the Christian life is to be active and not passive. Active and not passive. I think of that first slave, the guy that as soon as the, he got the five talents and as soon as the master, I'm envisioning him, as soon as the master is down the road and turns around the bend, he gets cracking on building uh, a business so that he can have a return for the master. Uh, Do we have that same sense of urgency, that same activity going on in our lives? Are you praying for unbelievers? Are you witnessing to unbelievers? Are you being a blessing to them in your speech and your conduct and your neighborhood? And then uh, last couple are easy. Uh, read the last chapter. This will be, if, you re- if you're staying up with the reading, uh, this, this week will be the last chapter for you to read, just chapter seven in the treasure principle. If you still need a copy, let me know. And then uh, any questions that you have about the capital campaign, we're just a few short weeks away from uh, committing ourselves to this project if the Lord lays that on your heart to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to study your word. I thank you for this church and the tradition that it rests in, in the Protestant Reformation. Father, may we be people who are not just hearers of the word. May it never be that we just hear these things this morning and then walk away and go about our, our daily routine, forgetting what we ever heard a few days later. But let us be doers of the word. I pray that we would be the type of people who would be about your work on this earth. You've given us a very clear mission. You've given us very clearly resources to accomplish the mission. Will we put our hands to the task of it? Pray that we would. And I pray that you would, uh, by your Holy Spirit, convict us of the areas that we need to change. In Jesus' name, amen.